Welcome to Limerick Treasures Podcast, the podcast where we interview interesting and influential people about their lives and ask them what it is that they treasure about Limerick. I'm your host, Katie Flannery, and this week's guest is Limerick comedian, Carl Spain. Carl Spain, welcome to Limerick Treasures Podcast. How does it Thank feel you. to be called a Limerick Treasure? Uh, yeah, it's that, um, yeah, it could be the, the many interpretations of like, oh, a treasure, where did you dig that up? You're on par with um, the treasure. One man's so. treasure is another man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose being a Limerick treasure, how did you get your start in Limerick? Well, I was born here. I had no choice. I'm, I'm actually 49 this day week. And it, it, it's kind of weird. Just I, f- I feel once in a year when I hit 50, that'll be kind of old and I'll have to develop some maturity. But I keep thinking back to the start of, you know, it's a very, very different time. You young people have no idea what it was like in the 70s. Everything was black and white. Did you know yeah. that? <laughs> there was no colour. There was nothing. There was nothing. <laughs> the only colour was people, what they'd wear on a Sunday going to mass. That was the only time you'd see a bit of colour. <laughs> how did you break into things? Like, where did you start on the scene? Were you a messer oh, in school or how did you get on? I, well, I was actually quite quiet in school, I say. My friends say the opposite. Um, but I, I felt I was quite shy in school. I went back... I did. I actually thought of doing journalism in college as I was as a mature student, and I ended up doing communications in Colossus de Dulig in Dublin. So it's a very hands-on, practical course. And through that, through making like TV programs for college and different things, I ended up presenting them. So my kind of my personality kind of flowered a little bit then, in that I was comfortable enough in front of the camera. But I was in my mid twenties then. I had decided at eighteen I wanted to be a comedian. I saw Billy Connolly in Limerick with my then girlfriend and I said to her after the gig, she was the first person I said it to, I said, I think I want to be a comedian. And she looked at me as if I'd said, oh, I want to be the next Jimi Hendrix or I want, you know, it was just like, I want to be Cristiano Ronaldo. It was that far-fetched. Our faces were sore from laughing after seeing Billy Connolly. And I went, oh, I think I could do that. And um, I still think that that, the look on her face of disgust as to you, honestly, oh my God. So that took me, so it was 10 years later when I started. I was in college in Dublin and the girl I was living with, her friend was a stand-up and had done stand-up in Australia and in Britain. And she came to Dublin to stay with us and we went, I went along to see her gigs. And I, hadn't, I used to go to stand-up and I just thought, yeah, just, I'm gonna, just going to give it a go. And here we are over 20 years later. Here you are. I'm sure the girlfriend isn't, uh, doesn't find that <laughs> a ridiculous <laughs> no, statement now. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I, yeah, I, think, I think she's still happy enough not being my girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so Galway have tried to lay claim to you many times. You've been called an honorary Galwegian. Do you want to put that to bed once and for all? Just remember, oh. you're on the Limerick Treasures podcast now. So, oh God, no! I mean, I the the the, the Dove is one of the best places in the country to perform, be it a musician or a comedian or what, poet, whatever. And I'm the host there every week when we're not in the middle of a global pandemic. And during the festival there, which is every October, which will be starting next week as well, which is my favorite week of the year. I host a late night show. Everyone gets up. We've had, you know, any comedian who's played in Ireland in the last 10 years has played that late show, all the big stars, which is great fun to host that. And so many fantastic memories. And I hope there's more in the future. But um, Galway doesn't own me yet. You know, uh, Ireland used to disown me in the past when we play 
in at the cat laughs we'd play a football match Ireland versus the rest of the world and I used to play for the rest of the world it was just to make up the numbers but they said it was because my name was Spain that makes you foreign but uh, once they realized I wasn't as bad at football as they expected me to be they tried to take me back which was one of the few compliments I've got in my comedy career well that's that's nice isn't it the football (laughs) so like with is there much of a comedy scene when we don't have a global pandemic in Limerick I know it wouldn't be the first port of call you know you've mentioned the roaching there but is there a scene there 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 is yeah the 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 commercial um bar uh has a comedy club there with younger lads i was meant to play it once but i couldn't make it there also in mother max is there's a room downstairs there there's been a comedy club Uh, also dolan's has run touring shows long as i'm doing comedy before and we were starting a gig in in flannery's jerry flannery's the 13 14 there's a venue built out there so we did one show and we were meant to have andrew maxwell and that was cancelled because of the lockdown but we'd started it was booked from march and we had six acts booked and every act booked has played live at the apollo you know with people like kevin bridges booked you know ard lohanlon rich hall sean walsh we load about everything lined up and once the lockdown started we kept going oh well we have to cancel march maybe the april will be the may might be june would be the first one you know it just yeah it's it's scary how things are at the moment because the, it's in the last week I've seen on Facebook a lot of the UK act getting pulled. Maybe you should retry as a, as a different career, retrain as a different kind of way. You're going, oh no, what are we going to do? Well, if that wasn't material for comedy, I don't know what was, you know? <laughs> yeah, but the, it's the lack of place to perform that material is the problem at the moment. Yeah, and how uh, about the so online? It, um, I've, I've always, I've, you know, I've genuinely, because I have background in communications, you know, I've, I'm, my great skill is ideas and thinking about things and going, yeah, now you go in and organize it with the cameras and the editing and all that stuff. But I don't have that person to say, now you go in and organize it. Mm-hmm. I keep meaning to film some videos and stuff like that. It's well and good saying, oh, yeah, I'll do that. But, you know, I keep saying I'll do it. I haven't done it yet. So that's the other danger at the moment, I think. I've, I've seen that, which I feel I'm suffering from. There's a certain kind of, I wouldn't say it's writer's block, but just kind of a, a creative paralysis because you're kind of, oh, who am I really doing this for? You know, what am I doing? You know, there's no point to it because where are we going to be in six months? In six, is this going to be four years? You know, from the initial thing of it will be gone away by the end of the summer to now. But I think I have to, I have to express my creativity somewhere. You know, I met my cousin and his wife in the Crescent Shopping Centre a few weeks back and I started telling them jokes and I realised, God, I missed an audience so much. <laughs> we'll just see you on O'Connell Street just trying to tell oh. jokes to people at the bus stop. I think would be the next thing. Yes. <laughs> so do you think as well with the online, maybe you're saying that you, you don't know how long it's going to go on and you know it's a hard thing to set up, but do you think that maybe it takes some of the shine off comedy? Like we've all heard talk shows and they're kind of comedy talk shows and there's no canned laughter and it's just, it falls a bit flat. Are there something missing? Yeah, I know I've done I've done Zoom shows and they have worked, you know, where you have a Zoom audience, but it's not the same. It genuinely isn't. You know, I was doing them and then I start I went back doing live shows. You know, I did an outdoor show, was the first show back I did after I think it had been about five months since I'd done a gig and uh, I keep saying it was a summer garden in, in Galway, which was a caravan park and a driving range. <laughs> um 
but it was it was great that there was no rust on me. I went back on stage and it felt like I hadn't, you know, it felt like I'd done a gig the night before. There was no kind of, oh God, how do I do this? It was, you know, I, I felt fresh and ready and it was just a great, it was a, a joy to do it again. You know, I realized how much I'd missed it. And I've done about seven or eight gigs since then. You're kind of doing it every week for a bit and, you know, two gigs one week, you feel like you're back. But um, so... I'm, but I'm more mentally prepared now for the lockdowns. You know, if you told me in March, oh, you're not going to do this for six months or whatever, I would have, it would have really kind of got to me. But um, I'm kind of thinking, oh, we'll get another goal in a few weeks and then there'll be another lockdown in January and we'll get another bit again. I think we'll find some new way of living in about March. Once we've been a year in, we'll sort out what we do from now on. So do you think that it's like a release for you, I suppose, during your comedy? Do you feel a bit like you're sitting on your hands or do you feel like you, you've steam that you need to let off? You need to get up on stage? Oh, yeah. you know? Definitely the excitement of doing a gig is, I really feel it now, which I, I you know, I was, I was really enjoying life. I'm, I was very happy with my lot in what I was doing, gigging every week, you know, four or five gigs a week. You're going around the country, you're driving, you're meeting your friends, you're having fun, you know, the laugh for me as a comedian is more off stage with the other with the promoters with the people who work in the comedy clubs you know people have known 20 odd years we'll have a coffee have a laugh the gigs are great fun more often than not and you know you're driving home late night you're going oh i'm so very happy with how i'm doing you know i have a very nice life and for it all to go away the way it did you know but everyone's in the same boat so it's kind of I can't even complain about it. Do you know how you feel? <laughs> you know, oh my God, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. You go, well, it's happened to all of us, you know, and I've been very fortunate. It's me and my girlfriend living together and I've been very lucky with who I keep saying to her, I'm so blessed that she's my lockdown lady. You know, there's other times in my life I was thinking, God, if this had happened when I was 20, 30, whatever, I don't think I would have dealt with it as well. The lockdown now, regardless of what I was doing in my life, but I think now... I'm at a point in my life, you know, where it, not that it suits me, but I can deal with it in a better way. You know, I was, you know, I, I'm surprised at myself in a way how well I've dealt with it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's lovely that you're mentioning your, your other half there because you actually mention her a lot in your interviews and in your comedy and everything. And you, you met her in an unusual way as well, didn't you? No, God, no, it wasn't unusual at all. It was, it was a typical enough? television. It's Carl Spain wants a woman. And I met Rachel on the show and we're together. It's 15 years there at the start of the month we're together, um, which is, again, it's a ridiculous. That's a lifetime if you're 15. Uh, so, yeah, it, we, I'm, again, as I said, never happier in my life, you know, up until March, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, Rachel and comedy, my two girls at least I still have one of them and I see the other one occasionally <laughs> well you were talking there um I know there was a bit of talk about a podcast do you think you might maybe give that a kick or put that into the works yeah, I, did, I did one for a while with the Roaching Dove but I, 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 a friend of mine another comedian Paul Marsh we're talking about doing a podcast we have the, the topic I know I can't say it in case anyone steals it I know what your students are like everything for free um but um, he's also, as a comedian, he's also uh, works for the fire service. So it's about trying to find the time and the fact he's in Dublin. So even trying to get to each other is, um, is a bit difficult. But yeah, I, I think it's going to be great fun. If nothing else, we'll do it for ourselves mm. and see where that takes us. You know, I've had it said to me for as long as podcasts have been a thing. Oh, you should do one. And I go, oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. But um, Paul has kind of twisted my arm and now 
uh, we're getting to the point. Uh, look, I even have the microphone. I mean, what more do you need? If you have a microphone and a computer, surely you can do a podcast. You're very, what do you mean? A lot of work goes into a podcast. <laughs> I think you have a better microphone than me as well. That's, that's disappointing. Oh, I'm, that's I'm, embarrassing. I'm, that's a poor dude if a student has a better microphone than you, Carol, now, I have to say. I'll tell you a better one because I did an interview for a student. Well, what year was this? Years ago. And she showed up for the interview in a newer version of my car. I had a Volkswagen Golf <laughs> at the time and I was standing outside the coffee shop. So I parked up the road and then she pulls up in her car, which is a year, was a year newer than mine. And I went, oh, nice car. And she goes, oh, it's just, just oh, it's just a normal student car. And I went, oh, yeah. <laughs> there it was, this big successful comedian. <laughs> I'm assuming her family are a lot of millionaires or something like that. Yeah, it uh, must be it. That has yeah. to be it. <laughs> But do you think the students now, while we're on the topic, do you feel like you don't want to go into student clubs and and, and play to students? Because I know recently there's been a lot of, we'll say, cancel culture. There's been a lot of, I suppose, outrage. There's been a lot of comedians maybe feel like they have to censor themselves. Do you think that that is for the best or do you think there's a middle ground or... I, well, I, I, I think um, if someone deserves to be cancelled, they should be cancelled. But I, I think there's there's it's become a thing of looking for people to cancel and going can we like it's almost like mm, it's ranting here on this one like bill burr um the american comedian made the point the other night which i think was as well as being funny was very true they were like they're trying to cancel john wayne who's been dead i don't know since the early 80s maybe <laughs> late 70s and going because stuff he said in a playboy he said i think it was homophobia you know, and he was, yeah, he was born in 1909. What, what, what do you expect? And I think, yeah, there, there's got to be a, like that kind of stuff when, when it's someone who's been dead for at least two generations. Um, it kind of seems pointless, you know. But I, I'm not worried about anything I say. I'm not one, I, you know, I'm not as a comedian, I'm not someone trying to shock the audience to trying to, you know, I, you know, there's that line we always talk about, oh, do you cross the line? But if I ever cross the line, it's very much with a nod and a wink. Mm. I'm not. I'm not trying to push anyone's buttons. To just you know, you know, it's a mistake I think new comedians used to make. I don't know I'm sure if they still do, where they'd say something shocking rather than something funny. Because if they couldn't think of something funny, they'd say something that would get a still get a reaction from the audience. And I used to find that oh, just do jokes, you know. Um, I still think, you know, that, that's from my point of view, I, I'm not out to shock anyone or upset anyone. But for those comedians that do, it wouldn't be my thing, but I'd still defend their rights in the sense that they're joking. You know, the, the, the contract you enter into when you get on stage with an audience is you're going to try to make them laugh. Now, we all do it in different ways, you know, or, you know, we try to do it in different ways, whatever. But um, those that say shocking stuff or you know, crude stuff, they're still, maybe they're trying to find their audience or find an audience that would laugh at that. But um, I've seen comics that would be seen as, you know, over like Jim Jeffries, who's an Australian comic. I remember doing the clubs with Jim Jeffries and he'd be stuff that people would go, oh my God, I can't believe he said that. But the whole room would be howling, laughing after five minutes. He would bring them to his point of view. And as much as they'd go home, well, I know I laughed at that, but I found it very offensive. But it was, it was amazing to watch that. And there's other comedians who wouldn't even swear. 
and would have the room, you know, could come on next after him and would have the room roar and laugh. And which one's right, which one's wrong? There's no correct answer. You know, it's one of those things. Surely the best thing is the difference between people. And the one comedian who used to make a point of saying you shouldn't be swearing, you shouldn't be doing crude material. The, the famous one for it was Bill Cosby. So I think he lost the moral ground as time went on, the high moral yeah. ground. Yeah, you know, but it, it's my thing when I get up on stage is just to make people laugh. Even when I'm off stage, it's to try and make people laugh. It's not about, you know, that shock value or to provoke any kind of reaction like that. Yeah, just kind of make everyone a bit more happier, especially in the current. Exactly. I do, I, but I, I, sorry, I accept your point that I do think it's, it's more, it's become a thing in young people now, which I find funny is that they're more offended by stuff, which I find shocking. Like I'm genuinely shocked by that because you think oh as time moves on like when i started the best audiences were definitely a university crowd because they'd be educated intelligent you know they'd get your references and they'd also you know appreciate it oh they get the joke quicker and i used to find that amazing and sometimes you'd see um last god i can't even remember the last college gig i did but uh, you'd have students in the audience and i've seen them being upset at other comedians going I can't believe he said that about that. And I went, you know, you'd be talking to go, I think he was joking though. You know, you'd be slightly sarcastic. I think it was a joke. I think he meant it as a joke. I don't think he actually would do whatever, you know, but um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a scary thing in the world, how divisive things people are, you know, unless, you know, if you don't agree with all my opinions here on Facebook, unfollow me now, you know, which is, you know, no. You should be engaging with people you don't agree with to try and find what the difference is and find the common ground or try and change their opinion or, you know, and that's why I think a lot of comedians don't have people would, a lot of the best comedians will kind of change their opinion on something. You go, God, I never saw it that way. And I go, God, I really wish, you know, I've always, it'd be more popular if I didn't agree with him, but I find myself agreeing with this person. Yeah. Open up a conversation. Exactly. Yeah. And while we're talking about crowds, is there any particular crowds that you would find? Like, have you gone internet? Well, you won't be going internationally now, but when you've gone internationally, did you find that your jokes and your comedy, did it translate? Yes. Um, Ed Byrne used to have a great quote about, um, he loves doing the gigs abroad because it's easier to change the audience than change your material. Um, but there's a freshness it gives you. So you might be doing some routine or jokes for two years. And there's always a thing of going, oh God, I was here two months ago. I was here last week. If I do that joke again, it could be the same people in the room. But if you're off in Dubai or Hong Kong or New York or somewhere, in your head, you're going, none of these people have seen me before. I can do anything, you know, from my whole back catalogue. So there's a kind of a, a looseness or a joy you'll have in performing in those places. You just have to be careful about making, don't make too many local references. Like you don't want to be going, hey, do you ever see Willie O'D walking around town? And they're going, no, this is Mumbai. What are you talking about? <laughs> Mentioning Mumbai, the interesting thing there was of all the gigs you do abroad, Mumbai was the one place where it was predominantly Indian. You know, the, if you go to Hong Kong, it's British, Irish, Australians, Americans. If you go anywhere, you know, you travel anywhere, it's expats. But in India, it was predominantly Indians. And it was a phenomenal show because we were told beforehand, the one thing Indian culture doesn't have when they're talking to each other is smut. So if you have any kind of, not even crude, but any kind of sexual reference, it's not something that comes up in conversation. So you're kind of there with a little, do I trust this? And we went out and it was actually, there were three of us there and it was 
just, they were the most, first of all, they were the most beautiful audience I've ever seen. It was all the really wealthy Indian, like the, all the Bollywood stars were there, all the wealthy people. So it was like a who's who of India. But of course, we didn't know who anyone was, but it was, they were just an amazing audience. So but that was a great feeling to be able to go to, the, you know, halfway around the world. And, you know, you've certain cultural points that you in the same Venn diagram but you know they're very different and still make the room roar with laughter that's that's a better feeling than necessarily Hong Kong when you go oh it's just 30% Irish here because it's St. Patrick's Day and they're laughing and the Americans are laughing as well because they think oh that's meant, that's meant to be funny we should laugh at that and the English go well my mother's Irish I understand a lot of this um, so yeah it, it, there's a great joy in going abroad and, and doing comedy well there used to be you know Will we ever go anywhere again? Oh, look, they're clothes they're taken in the road. <laughs> you know how they say you're big in Japan and you're big in Mumbai. Do you have anywhere where you have fans that you're like, I don't know how they know me here, but they know me here and I'm, they love it. I, well, I don't know. Hong Kong, I've, I've been to, uh, I think it's about seven times now where you do, there's a promoter there. You do a week in Hong Kong. You usually go somewhere else in Asia. So I've gone to China a few times. And gone to different countries in Asia. Japan is one place I haven't been to yet, but it's very much on my to-do list at some point. But the Hong Kong gig, used, the, the, the venue is actually gone now, but it used to be the most amazing gig. You know, the gig was there for 20, over 20 years and everyone has played. Like you name them, they've passed through from America, Britain, and it's, they're all packed around you. And it was just so much fun i would do, as you do an irish show there's been, in the recent years there's been an irish show for st patrick's week and everyone goes to the irish show if you go any time of the year they'll always go to that so it's so much fun credible backdrop before the gig you're sitting out having this beautiful food and it's just this the harbor and this beautiful skyline and you're going in and you're having a great time with the gig and everyone has a great gig and you're just so happy and you were weak at this and then you're going going off somewhere else and it all feels like a holiday. And the, the, the joke I always do, regardless of who I'm with, is always we'll be sitting at some point, maybe at breakfast or something, and I'll go, oh yeah, look at us. We had to be this funny boy in school, didn't we? We had to have the smart mouse. Look, we could have had a nice job now. We could be living in that loan. <laughs> but no, no, we had to do the smart stuff and look where it's brought us, you know, which was... Uh, it was you realize how lucky you are to be doing the job we do yeah that's a very nice joke i think you can only tell to a select group of people <laughs> no but that's that's great and i suppose it all is worth it then when you're off in places like that so what would be the number one now on your list lockdown's over and you have to go abroad where is number one where would you want to get back to well i was meant to actually funnily enough the first gig that was cancelled when the whole covid started was china i was meant to be hong kong then china and then australia and I was, I was so smart. I thought, oh, well, the China, they won't let us into China now because of that. And as China was the middle bit, I knew Australia was going to go then because the promoter is not going to pay for us for a week to hang about before going to Australia. It's not financially viable. So we were, at that point, we were just going to Hong Kong. But that, you know, that fell away quite quickly. Dubai is another gig I do regularly. So somewhere like that. I just love to be back sitting in nice warm weather, looking out somewhere and a nice view going, oh normality you know it's all over now 
Mm. And are you in Limerick currently? Or are you living in Limerick? I'm living in Limerick, yeah. I moved back. I was in college. I lived in Dublin. I just, when I started comedy, I lived in Dublin. And then I lived in England for a year just to wrap up, to get to get the degree. And then uh, moved back, moved home to Limerick. But it's the great thing about being a comedian. Because you do so much traveling, it doesn't really matter where you live. You know, it's, it, there's the advantage of living in an English-speaking country. Mm. Um, but that's not necessarily essential either. There's English comics who live in France and commute you know in normal circumstances back to the uk to do their gigs you know as much as the irish do it i was like oh, i said that's crazy how does he do that and you go well you do it when you go to the uk i went oh yeah i do it's yeah it's just i, I just miss it so much at the moment the more i talk about it i shouldn't have agreed to do this at all <laughs> Must be an uplifting interview. No, it's not. I feel like I'm in a wheelchair talking about my skateboarding career. It's not not the same. Oh, no, someone's going to be offended by that. God, we've gotten to this stage in the interview. (laughs) So I suppose to pick things up again a bit now, um, (laughs) what would you say that you treasure most about Limerick? Oh, um, a certain amount of the people. Do you know there's a Limerick... A certain amount. No, a certain amount. Yeah, not all. No, but there's a certain collectiveness about Limerick. There's a slight, I think a slight contrariness about Limerick. And I think that's partly to do with Limerick's reputation. You know, Limerick got kind of punished and branded back in the 70s, I think is when the the whole Stab City and all that started. And I think it was Limerick being a bit contrary about it rather than being, you know, outraged or, you know, fighting back maybe could choose better words i think there was kind of an oddness to a limerick that and a good oddness i don't mean it you know i just mean a contrariness that um we have our own ways like you know you see it i think i think i wouldn't be a huge i'm a football fan, soccer i'm a soccer fan but i think the the rugby the whole monster rugby and everything around it i think is exceptionally brilliant for limerick I'm not far from Tolman Park where I am now. And I think Munster winning the Heineken Cup, like for me, that was just mind blowing that I keep calling Munster, particularly in Cork, I call them a Limerick team. Um, <laughs> that a Limerick team like Munster could win a European, tro- you know, t- two European trophies. But it was just, it was, it, it's an amazing thing, that whole silence in Tolman Park, everything about it. It's just, it's such a wonder, you know. And I know from friends of mine who are big rugby supporters, they would be in contact with people around the world. They always go, there's a certain majesty or magic to Tolman Park and the silence and just the crowds. And they, you know, the real fans or whatever you want to call them from around the world really appreciate Tolman Park. And they talk about it, even though they've never been they find this, oh, there's a certain reverence into what that is. I think Limerick is a great city. I think the negative reputation it has usually comes from people who've never been. If you talk to, you know, any students I've known who've been through UL, especially, met them around the world, and they'll tell me, oh, I went to University of Limerick, and they say, it was the best time of my life. It was the best decision I ever made. And And they're not from Limerick, but they have a genuine affection and love for their time there. But having said that, Des Bishop used to do a great routine about how UL isn't Limerick. It's, it's, a, it's under a dome and you never actually get to the real Limerick. You, the one time you go into the city, you're bussed in, you're led into a nightclub and then you come out, you're put back on the bus and brought back to the university campus that you never actually see the real Limerick. <laughs> there was 10% of truth in that. Uh, which I'm saying nothing anyway. <laughs> um, but no, I think, there's, I think there's a lot of, there's a lot to be 
proud of being from Limerick. I think it is a great sporting city. I think it's it's a beautiful city. I used to hate RTE used to make documentaries about Limerick. And when there was one famous one, not famous, but there was one a few years back and it was the two sides of Limerick. And they didn't go the positive, you know, they showed the beautiful side, the Ennis Road or the beautiful parts of Limerick. They showed South Hill and My Ross. And, this, you know, they're shown burnt out houses. They're shown, you know, boarded up houses in South Hill. But there's also another side to Limerick, my Ross. And you're just going like, you're just shown, you know, the bad parts looking bad. Not even, you know, you, there's better parts of South Hill and my Ross you could show, but they're literally shown, look this and this. They're going, well, this is the Limerick we found. And you go, no, there's a different perspective to anything. And that's one of the things you have to go go look for i'm all for curiosity i'm all for learning and you know if i disagree with somebody on something i'll always try and find right why why are they so entrenched on this you know and most common answer is they're mental don't mind them <laughs> they don't know what's gonna <laughs> but i suppose that you mind me saying this now but i suppose limber people do have a certain comedic value to them in that there's a sense of crack amongst the people in Limerick, they're very unlike anywhere else in Ireland. There is a very quick wittedness with them, I, I, I'd say you found as well. Yeah, there's, I, I, well, I think the, the, the slagging is the other thing. That's cert- that certainly would be seen as one of my, 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 more, um, my more obvious talents when it comes to stage. You know, when I host a show, I will give some audience members a gentle ribbing um, and a, a teasing about something that I find out about them. But that's very much was grown up as well. You know, there was, it was, it was almost like, joke about it, it's like how you showed affection. It'd be like, oh, look at you with your head. You know, what? So what's wrong with my head? There was no, oh my God, you're amazing. There was none of that. There was none of that grown up. So that's part, I think, of the limerick contrariness of kind of keeping you grounded. As I used to say, like, you know, when I started doing comedy, my friends and family kept me grounded for a level of success that no comedian has had. <laughs> they kept me grounded well be- they kept me below ground with their um acerbic comments and uh the punishing you know and and um yeah um, yeah and it never affected me in any way <laughs> yeah no definitely i think limerick people have a thick skin and a sharp tongue so if yeah. you had any kind of closing closing words a message that people can pick up their spirits and you know we're going to get through this and Limerick is going to get through this and well it was funny at the start I, I we will get through this I genuinely you know I genuinely believe that I've come to terms with that I'm not sure how long it'll take but I think we will get through it at the start of the pandemic I remember when the Limerick numbers were very low and I went fuckers they still won't come to Limerick <laughs> we're infected with COVID-19 they won't even come to Limerick and uh, there wasn't a certain pride then when the numbers went up I went oh good we're finally getting it yeah but we're getting it well after the rest of the country um no I, th- I do I do think for everybody you know there is there is that positivity we will get through it I feel for the people as I said you know at this time in my life it, it's I'm lucky for me I'm glad I'm not 30 40 years older when I'd be genuinely terrified I'd be literally thinking, oh, this is death. It's going from house to house and it's eventually going to find me. Um, or younger when, you know, I think for a lot of certainly new students where they're not even going to get to meet their classmates, you know, too often or get to build those friendships that last with you for the rest of your life. You know, I've still, my friends from college, we still talk to each other at least once a year. Oh, we're still, we're all living abroad. It's one of those things you go and see them. We're all living in different countries. We're not, I'm not living abroad. But um, no, I think, I think there's, it's, 
we'll get through it. It's one of those things, you know, the fact that we're all in it together makes it different. Do you know what I mean? It, it is very much, it's the most, it's the one thing that's brought the, the whole globe together in the sense of God, you know, we're all in this, you know, it's, it's up there with like the whole globe thinking, geez, Donald Trump's a bit mad, isn't he? <laughs> um, but it is, it is a collectiveness that we're, you know, we'll get through this and sooner rather than later, I'm hoping, you know, but, uh, Oh God, I don't know. I, I should mention I'm not a doctor or an immunologist or a politician. <laughs> well, we had you know. on uh, on the podcast on false pretenses then, Carl. Yeah, <laughs> you redacted my invitation. <laughs> Would you like to end it on a positive note? <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> they stuck for words. Um, uh, yeah, it's one of those, it's, it's a rare, it's a rare thing. Um, no, I think it's it's one of those just, you know, no one's listened this far into a podcast or an interview anyway. Do you know people they'll be listening for a while, but there'll be like seven minutes left and they'll get out of the car and they'll go, Oh God, I must get back to that. And then they go, Oh, I'm not going to listen to seven minutes or I'm not going to listen to it at home. So people have tuned out by now, you know, that's, and that's a, that's a good thing because they're busy and they've other stuff to do. So that's the positive message I have. I'm saying, I'm glad you didn't listen right to the end because you've other things in your life because Limerick is so exciting at the moment. Well, on that note, Carl Spain, thank you so much for coming on Limerick Critters. Thank you very much.